Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 113 of Caro Pop, sponsored by Revolution Brewing. There are many entry points to the work of this week's guest, singer, songwriter, composer, and actor Paul Williams. Maybe you know him for the hit songs he co wrote that launched his career. We've only just begun. Including We've Only Just Begun and Rainy Days and Mondays for the Carpenters and an old fashioned love song for Three Dog Night. Just an old fashioned love song. One I'm sure they wrote for you and me. Maybe you know him for the song Touch that he sings and co wrote with Daft Punk for their 2013 smash album Random Access Memories. I remember Touch. Pictures came with touch A painter in my mind Tell me what you see Maybe you know him for the 1974 movie that the Daft Punk guys knew him for, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. William Starzin and wrote the songs for that gonzo rock musical comedy horror film. Maybe you're the right age, ahem, to have obsessed over Alan Parker's 1976 Kid Gangsters movie, Bugsy Malone, for which Williams wrote the catchy old-timey songs. Maybe from that same year, you remember the number one single that he co-wrote with Barbara Streisand that won them the Academy Award for Best Song, Evergreen, Love Theme from A Star Is Born. Love, soft as an easy Maybe you remember seeing Williams play Little Eno's Burdette in the Smokey and the Bandits movies. The problem is that Coors Beer, you take that east of Texas and that's, uh, that's bootlegging. You know, I believe you're just a little bit scared. That's great psychology. Why don't you just say something bad about my mother? Your mama is so ugly. Maybe you, like I, think Elaine May's 1987 comedy Ishtar is underrated and its songs cracked you up. Yep, Paul Williams wrote those too. And maybe, just maybe, you know what may be Williams' most beloved song of all? One that he co-wrote for a green puppet frog. Rainbow Connection, sung by Kermit in the Muppet movie. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. In 2020, that song was chosen by the Library of Congress to be preserved in the National Recording Registry. Williams and Kenneth Asher co-wrote all the songs for the Muppet movie. Two years before the Muppet movie, in 1977, Williams wrote the songs for his first Jim Henson project, the hour-long musical TV special, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. When you meet somebody that don't like soul food, they still got a soul. Maybe you know Williams now because you saw the acclaimed stage production of Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas currently playing in Chicago with Broadway in its sights. We sound great! Well, we sound fair. Let's do it again. Gee, haven't we done it enough? Yeah, we done it all afternoon. Well, let's do it some more. I put a hole in Ma's wash tub for this contest and we gotta win. Now here we go. Gee, Mr. Big Time Conductor. However you know Williams, 
you and the older and younger folks among your family and friends should find this Carol Pop conversation to be delightful. I did. Williams, now 83, takes us on a joyous journey from his early hits, the first of which was originally a bank commercial, through his collaborations with The Carpenters, Helen Reddy, Barbara Streisand, Jim Henson, Daft Punk, and more. He takes us onto the sets of Bugsy Malone, where he has one big regret involving Jodie Foster. Ishtar, where he took directions from Elaine May in writing comically bad songs for Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty to sing. And the Muppet movie. And he shares with us maybe his greatest accomplishment, being sober for 33 years and working to help others kick their addictions as well. This one is a treat, folks. Please enjoy this Carol Pop conversation with Paul Williams. We could have been anything that we wanted to be. Good to be here. I was thinking with you that that there are few people who have more kind of like different entry points to their career than you. I mean, I is I am the totally the right age that I was completely obsessed with Bugsy Malone. So, oh, how cool! Thank you. So I know all those Bugsy Malone songs really well. When people see you, are you associated with like one thing, or is it just kind of like whatever age they are, whatever their connection it's, point is? It's a really good question to open with because I started doing the the and you know I've never sold an autograph in my life or or a photo. I mean, it's, I don't have fans. I have friends. I've you know I'm amazed at the career that I've had and and all the different things I've gotten to do. I, you know, I've always said that for an out of whack, out of work, out of whack would have bought too, but for a lot of years and out of whack, but a little more in whack these days. Uh, but as a, for an out of work actor, I've just had so many opportunities to do so many different things, you know, in music and all. But recently I've started doing, I, I have a friend who pr- promotes Comic-Con. I, you know, I said, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I don't sell an autograph, whatever. And, and he said, you know, you're doing a lot of work in recovery and we'll have a foundation for the sunlight of the spirit awards and all. And, and uh, you see, you, you can give the money away. So I, I, I do a few of these a year now. And it's interesting because on the banner that we put up and it says, this is all, you know, for, for all the money is every penny goes to recovery and music education. But it, it, it will show us a picture of me as the, as the, the penguin in, in the Batman animated series. Oh, something from smoking the band and phantom of the paradise yeah, i was wondering about phantom of the paradise because that's so a... it's like it, when your observation is is accurate because i'm i'm sort of a a guest in all these different media and uh and yet it's just been an amazing life and then that. if they started playing evergreen from star is born everyone would be like oh no that that guy okay yeah, exactly. um and honestly I saw Ishtar when it came out and I thought it was hilarious. And maybe this is because I've always been a music person, but I thought the songs in there were so funny. And I kind of went back and I'd forgotten that you wrote those too. Yeah. You know, that's one of my favorite projects ever. And, and, and it was, it's interesting because the idea of writing bad songs is easy. Anybody can do it, you know, but to write a believably bad song and the, the way I approach it is, and I think the way I approach writing for any, anybody, whether it's an artist or, but specifically if it's for something with a story and characters involved, you know, the two tasks you have is, is to, to advance the story, but also to show the inner life of, of, of the, the character. And I've always approached that as an actor, as that, cause that's what I love to do most of all, you know? So I'm looking at these two characters, Chuck and Lyle, that are mismatched songwriters. And it was a, just a great way to approach it as like what, you know, what their backgrounds are like, 
you know, and 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 how that mismatch would create, you know, some, you know, some really interesting ideas that kind of go awry. So uh, uh, telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. That's the really online right, right. up to the if you admit that you can play the accordion, no one will hire you in a rock and roll band. They just kind of go off, you know. She said, come look, there's a wardrobe of love in my eyes. Take your time, look around, try to find something your size. You know, when you really think something's good, you dive ahead. And and some of the most, uh, to me, the, just the funniest film footage ever is the opening of Ishtar when Warren and Dustin are are, are writing the song Wardrobe of right. Love. It's just, it's really, they're, they're wonderful in that moment. Now, were you the one who presented them the song? Like, did you teach them the song or, or was there, were there like go-betweens there? Well, again, you hit on, it's a really good question because Elaine May has an interesting way of working. She said, you know, and I wrote probably 50 songs hmm. for, for the picture and Elaine is is famous for not giving actors or uh, I think you know pe- the the creative forces that she hires she you know gives them the room to just kind of do what they're going to do and does not direct you. I mean, with an actor, you know, Elaine is famous for, uh, especially on Ishtar, saying to you know to Isabella Johnny or Warren or Dustin, you know, like oh, let's do another take and and just what is it you want? She, and her answer has always been, "I'll know it when I see it," and it 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 does work for her. It's an interesting thing because when she asked me to write the songs, I wrote a song, and she said, "I don't want." I, I want to hear Warren and Dustin singing them because when you sing it, it sounds like a song. Right. And it sounds like, a, a you know, a, a, like a, an established song. But I want I don't want just a couple lines. It may be a couple lines in the script, but I want the whole song. And I want Warren and Dustin to sing and play it. So I spent about a year writing the 20, 30, whatever songs there was that were that were partial songs in, in the, you know, most of them partial songs and all. But uh, I started I just started writing things and showing them to her. And she was going you know, I know, you know that sort of, that sort of that's not it and i did what do you what do you want what do you, she said i'll know when i hear it and what finally happened is i sat down and i, and I went uh Saturday morning, the sound of a lawnmower touches my soul, touches my soul, brings brings back the memories of first summer love of Will and me, that a lawnmower can do all that, that a lawnmower can do all that, that a lawnmower, all three times, a lawnmower can do that. It's amazing. And she said, I think, and she's nodding. And I sang, I can see her standing in the backyard of my mind. She cracks her knuckles and the scab that's on her knee won't go away. I can see the woman waiting in her eyes and I can see the love, but I can't see the Brooklyn Dodgers in LA. And she went, that's what I'm looking for. That's exactly it. And I was off and running. Did she actually laugh or did she just nod her head and say, okay, that's right. You know, she, she, well, you know, that's a good question. The one guy that always laughed was Pat McCormick. That's why I loved him. I think she went, that's it. <laughs> so did she, but did you end up presenting them to Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty to sing, or was that more like part of the direction of the movie? Like you were not, you were doing something else at that point. No, no, no. You know, I was in, Ish, I was in Morocco with them and, and I had a gentleman named Doug Walter was you know, kind of working with them to, to, uh, to, to sing and, and, 
And it was interesting because the, I, I, he'd recently passed away, but, but my first producer that I really connected with was a gentleman named Michael James Jackson. And we brought Michael James Jackson in to produce with me the, the, the album. There was going to be a great all-star rock and roll musician album of Ishtar, which was never released when the when they started reviewing the the shooting schedule instead of the film. But basically, like we're doing this stuff in, in Morocco, and I think I spent a year in New York at the Waldorf Astoria just working with, with Warren and, and Dustin, writing songs, teaching them to them. Uh, Doug was teaching them the songs. We, we'd get them to, to sing them and show them to, to to Elaine, and she would go, yeah, yeah. You know, it was it, it was an interesting process. I mean, they're both known as pretty opinionated actors. Were they giving you notes on, yeah, I think I should sing this instead? No, but they actually wrote some of the stuff too. They're, you know, every now and then they're, you know, you know, they both wanted, you know, wanted to contribute and did, you know, but. Uh, and you'd be like, great, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> you've got terrible down, guys. That's, you got it. Yeah, but you know, but but the performances are great. You look at Dustin's performance of "Love and the Will." You know, is 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 wonderful. It's uh, I mean, it's uh, this is while we're while we were recording Dustin's uh, Dustin's television version of of "Death of a Salesman." Air, mm. we're in the studio doing vocals and comping vocals and all and soon and it was it was it aired and as soon as it, the 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 presentation was over he picked up the phone and he called called miller you know i was like oh my god so he's on the phone with miller and he said what you know, he says i'm right here with paul williams and we're working on it sure hold on and he the phone, says, say hi to Arthur the span of 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 a single task for a songwriter sometimes can take you from the extremes of ishtar to to the the author of of death of a salesman it's just what a life i'm nothing but grateful mark Nothing. There you go. Now, you, now you've done a lot of work on you know so many different projects. Are most of the songs you've written songs that you've written for like an assignment? Like you know we have this character, we have this story, as opposed to you know you sitting at the piano and thinking I'm just going to write a song about this. Yeah. Well, the, in the early years, that was it was the opposite of that. It was like especially with the drop Roger Nichols and I at AM Records, we would say, you know, almost every day, 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd be in there and Roger would write mel the melodies before he gave me the, the melodies to write. But I go in and stand at his elbow and and uh, he would give you me da da dee da dee da 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 and I'm going, what am I going to write and talking to myself and feeling old, you know, so. We've only just begun rainy days and Mondays. I won't last to deal with you uh, in the country for three dog night. Uh, talk it over in the morning for Anne Murray. Uh, uh, I mean, the, all all the the hits that we had were uh, were a few songs among how many how many hundreds or <laughs> whatever. But I mean, literally, I, w I would say probably a song a week for several, maybe three or four years. And they would start with his music and then you'd come in with lyrics? Yeah, exactly. And when he then he'd go home to his girlfriend. I didn't have a girlfriend, so I'd stay there and write with anybody that walked by my office or by myself. I remember the publisher, great publisher named Chuck Kay, and said, you know, write with Roger, then go home, have a life, relax. And, you know, and uh, 
And I, so I'd stay there, and I then I wrote Old Fashioned Love Song, Words and Music. And he said, okay, write with Roger and write by yourself, you know. And then I wrote a, a song called Family Man with a bass player buddy, and that was a hit for Three Dog Night. So he said, oh, what the screw it. We'll write with whoever you want to. I just, you know, I, I, I have, I've always said that Roger Neffels and then later on Kenny Asher, who I wrote most of the songs for, Stars Woman with, You and Me Against the World, and we wrote all the songs for the Muppet movie together. I've always said that the two of them were my basically my music school. You know, they were amazingly gifted composers, and I learned more from them, I think, than than anybody else. Did you start off originally thinking you'd be the one in the spotlight singing the songs or was it always like, I mean, you, I mean, you wanted to be an actor and I'd read somewhere that you tried to, you know, audition for the monkeys. I um, Steven, Steven Stills and I, every now and then, whenever we see each other go, they turned us down. They turned us down. Thank you. <laughs> you know, cause the life that, you know, the, you know, the, the variety, you know, I think one of the things that has kept me really, passionate about what i do is 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 the variety of the the you know the places that i were i mean right like right now i'm here with them at otter's jugman christmas which is he was born out of a, a project with jim henson back you know back in the day and at the same time time uh, you know i'm working with guillermo del toro on on pan's labyrinth for the stage so it's it's i love the variety and the thing that i love about working on a, on something that has a story and characters is that that there's it, it's just a great bit of navigational direction to sit down and write for bugsy malone you know you look at the songs and you, you you look at the characters you look at the story and you go you know this is you know, what 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 am i going to do here this is a bunch of of, of down and outs and it pops into your head, you know, to write it. You don't have to sit around complaining about the way, you know, the down, down, down and out song, you know, or right, or uh, just, you know, what is it that's going on in the center of that character's chest, you know? No, like even that, um, I, it's funny, I, listen, I just listened to, I mean, we had, we pretty much wore down our vinyl copy of that when it came out, my brother and I, and uh, and, and I listened to it again, and there were some songs, like I always remembered, I mean, I could have sung you, like, my name is Tallulah, um, but like, Tomorrow is a really beautiful ballad and i'm like oh I've, I've, i remembered it and i remembered the scene of it being sung but i hadn't because i haven't seen that movie in a long time and i'm like oh that's a really good one too there's like kind of buried treasures on here as well as like the ones that kind of stuck out the most interesting full circle moment which i think you might appreciate from from the songs in bugsy malone and what i was trying to do to emulate something you know kind of the sound of of, of you know be, you're beginning with what is essentially the warner brothers you know black and white john garfield you know humphrey bogart movies is a basic you know, gangster movies done with kids and all so you know what what is it i'm going to do musically that, that kind of fits in that genre and i the one that i remember thinking i really wanted i want to write something that is in the stylings of of ella fitzgerald or mel torme you know like a saloon singer kind kind of a song was ordinary fool and years later ella and 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 uh, uh you know but they both recorded recorded the song and it was like well that's full circle i you know, wow. I, I ripped them off for a styling for this song and this character and then they do it it's just it was well, ripped him off as perhaps not the word. No, no, you're inspired by, inspired by. That's totally how influenced by that, you know. Um, were you on the set for that one? 
Very briefly, you know, they, they filmed, well, you know, Alan, this, the project began because that was a story that Alan Parker told his kids as a bedtime story. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he had kids and he'd put them to bed and he was making up the story of Bugsy Malone. And at the time he was famous, a, a very successful uh, director of commercials in, in England. And his first first feature that he wrote was Bugsy Malone based on what he was telling these kids, you know. So he, when he, I sat down with him and, he, and you know, he, he approached me about doing it, he came to the States. I looked at this um, the amazing renderings of what the characters would look like and the cars and all that and, and everything. Uh, but when they when they filmed it, they filmed it in England, and most of the kids were like army brats. You know, they were because they were, they were, he wanted Americans wherever he could to get the accent. And uh, so the, the two that he caught, you know, cast that were professionals, you know, Scotty and, and, uh, and Jody and Foster, Foster uh, you know, were, of course, professional. But most of those kids were, you know, and so they could they could act. And a choreographer, you know, found that they could dance. But when you start thinking about those voices and, and trying to get them all in the same key and the like, and and just my first thought was, you know, well, if they're driving pedal cars that make that make engine sounds, why can't they sing in voices that are, you know? And so it's, you know, it's kind of funny to have, you know, Bugsy talking like this. Come on, are you guys with me? And then he sings, you don't have to. <laughs> so, you know, we, we did this kind of almost... A, like a little more like cartoon voices or, or you know, the styling of, of adults sounding like these characters. So we're kind of approaching it like an animation project. And uh, I think it worked well, but I have felt guilty since the day I did it, since the day I put it, uh, somebody else's voice in Jody Foster's mouth. I felt guilty about it. And, and uh, if, if there's one thing I could change, I would probably go back and say, you know, Jody, I'd like to hear you sing it first. Is she a good singer? I have no idea. Well, I would think so. I would imagine she's so brilliant. She probably does everything. You know, she could do, probably notate the music as well. I had a total teen crush on her back then. And, you know, and like Bugsy Malone and Taxi Driver were the same year, which kind of blows crazy. my mind. And I, I saw Bugsy Malone. I did not see Taxi Driver till later in life. But the idea that she she sort of went from one project to the other is kind of crazy, too. Well, it's interesting, too. But if you listen to the lyrics to Tallulah, it doesn't sound like lyrics for, you know, they're very kind of seductive, you know, for, for a movie that's basically for kids, you know. My, my my name is uh, uh, my name is Tallulah, and, uh, and soon I'll be gone. An open invitation is the road I travel on. I try to leave a little reputation behind me, so if you really need to, you'll know how to find me. I'm like, oh my God, have I gone too far? That's funny. But, you know, but it's it, you know the amazing thing is that you know although I was not accepted as a monkey one of the monkeys Mickey Dolenz was responsible for adapting Bugsy Malone to the stage and so I saw every, that almost every kid that grows up in England does Bugsy Malone on stage including Edgar Wright who used me in Baby Driver and is a, is a fan and a friend and I, I am as well I think he's just brilliant I've loved him since Shaun of the Dead oh yeah me too but uh but it's interesting that, that in this country it's done you know, by schools and the like as well. But but in England it's just it's like Greece is over here. I'm just again the word I keep looping back to is grateful. 
Caropop is supported by Revolution Brewing, Illinois' largest independent brewery. Revolution's beers are brewed only in Chicago using pure Lake Michigan water. These include the best-selling anti-hero IPA and the collectible franchise cans featuring football, hockey, basketball, and baseball, the new Super Zero sparkling hop water, and the PBU Gene, a robust porter enlivened by sweet, creamy peanut butter. In Chicago, you can get Revolution fresh from the tap at the brewery and tap room in Avondale or the original brew pub in Logan Square. Go to RevBrew.com and at RevBrewChicago on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Just begun to live white lace and promises. We've only just begun was originally written for an ad, right? Had all the romantic beginnings of a commercial. Yeah, that's crazy. And I didn't want to write it. You know, it's like I'm, 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 you know, trying to be rock and roll and about thinking that I was white. You know, I'm like, you know, white light, black leather. I'm rock and roll. I'm street. I was such a middle of the road, you know, writer. I would, you know, easy listening for sure. You know, you know, but I wanted, but I, but I was just this total hippie. I mean, I had shoulder length hair and I wore tie dye pants and work boots and and. Uh, but I'm writing these these very, you know, very very kind of you know the the, the more throwback, you know, the, a ballad. I've always been influenced by the Great American Songbook. I don't want to write a bank commercial. The way it came to us is Tony Asher, a wonderful lyricist who wrote God Only Knows. Right. Great. Was supposed to write this commercial for Crocker Bank. They were going to show a young couple getting married, the kiss, the celebration, driving off into the sunset. And the, and there was no copy. There was no voiceover. It was like a little video. And at the end, it would say, you've got a long way to go. We'd like to help you get there, the Crocker Bank. And uh, Tony Asher was given the job to do that, and he broke his hand skiing. And so he called Roger, and he said, I, 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 said, I, I can't do it. I've recommended you and Paul. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I am black. I'm street. I don't want to do a bank commercial. He said, there's a creative fee. I went, let's do this bank commercial. So we wrote the first two verses. We finished it as a song thinking that maybe somebody would cut it as an album, you know, cut or, or something. But at the time, you know, the number one album in the country was in Agada de Vida. So you couldn't get commercially further away from what a hit single was than that until an angel sang it. And when Karen Carpenter sang it, Richard called and he recognized my voice on the commercial. And he said, is there a full song? We said, yes. If there hadn't been, we'd have written it that day. But uh, we said, yes. He cut it, and I couldn't believe it, the, the response to it. It was it literally put us on the map, I think. So, and, you, and you'd gone back and written the bridge already and all of that by the time yeah, we called finished you. It. We'd already finished it. Good uh, move. Know, I've heard people swear that, it, that we added that after the fact, but no, it was as soon as we got the first two verses, we rolled through and, you know, they were going to do a second commercial. So what our thinking was that, you know, if if we needed something to, a little different or a little more for the second commercial, you know, we'll use the bridge sharing horizons that are new to us. 
Rainy days and Mondays. Did you write that for the Carpenters or was that another one where Richard heard it and said, oh, we want that one too? Because the, when when the Carpenters were signed at A&M, nobody knew who Roger and I were. Roger and I were, as from the beginning when we started writing, things started getting, I mean, we there was very little we were recording or writing that wasn't getting recorded. I mean, com- compared to, to most writers. I mean, to me, it was like drawers and drawers and drawers full of songs that didn't get recorded. But looking back and at, 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 through the years, you go, Matt, we were uh, we were getting solid numbers of recording, uh, but nothing on there, nothing on the air. No, there was no no A side singles written by Paul Williams and Roger Nichols that were getting played. You had so, a Tiny Tim B side that Bowie covered later. Well, that way, yeah, I had the B side of Tiny of Tiny Thing. They played that a lot, and of course, the great thing about that song, "Fill Your Heart," is that later on David Bowie recorded it. Right. It was, his first outside recording that he didn't write. It's on Dory. There was there was just you know all these album cuts, all these B sides. Nobody was was releasing them as singles. So the one of the great surprises for Roger and I was when when Chuck K, the head of publishing, and Herb Alpert showed up at at, at Roger's office door. You know, we had both had offices. We usually wrote in his. And and he said these are the I want to introduce you to the the new the newest artists at A and M. Here's Richard and Karen Carpenter. They looked at us and went, "Oh my God, we love the the recording of of Trust by on the Peppermint by the Peppermint Trolley and and Steve Lawrence's Drifter and they knew all these songs that we had recorded and we went, "Oh my God, we're famous." <laughs> was fantastic you know so it was natural that that when they started recording we you know we tried to to get on on the the dates for sure the first thing they recorded was a song called i kept on loving you and while it was not a single we had the good fortune of being getting the free ride on the back of close to you and then the next thing they recorded was was uh was rainy days and mondays we wrote i wrote old-fashioned love song and sent it to Richard and he never listened past the first verse he was like mm. I sent it to three dog night and had a hit but but right. rainy days and Mondays we wrote very specifically with with uh, Richard and Karen in mind well because it's such a melancholy song that's that her voice just makes heartbreaking oh my god what a, and it's the longer oh the older i get the, the the more i'm realizing that that was just a that was a voice for the ages that was just stunning there was such innocence and then there was there was a sensuality there was an intimacy there was an ease that she sang with and just that tone was just and the way their voices blended and god bless his recordings and his arrangements they were they were brilliant yeah. And then you ended up with Barbara Streisand on Star is Born. How did that happen? I was a call that there was this, uh, I had, had had a hit with with uh, Helen Reddy. Right. Oh, you, you and me against the world. You, I know you and me against the world. And Barbara called and she had recorded. She had recorded, I think I won't last today without you. She there had been a couple songs that she got. We, but I never met her. We, we didn't know each other. She called and she said, I'm doing the stars more. And uh, there's there's a song at the end of the of the picture where where my character finds a song that has been written by John Roman Howard, Chris Christopherson's character, 
and it's on her cassette. And it's like, you know, like she hears this song and then she, at the end of the picture, she sings this as a tribute to him because he's gone. And uh, you've, you've written a song with called You and Me Against the World. And I'm thinking that kind of song, you know, would you, I'd love you to write something like that. So what they were asking me was to write one song. And uh, they sent me a script, and uh, and I just, I, that's not what I heard. I heard, we want you to write the songs for A Star is Born. I, my, my ego listens better than I do sometimes. So I went in, and I had written out ideas and where, you know, where I thought songs would go and thing, whatever. And uh, she and John Peters issued me out of the room and then brought me back in and said, you know, you're not intimidated, are you? And I went, no, and I'm probably sure I was, but I said no. And the first thing I said was, I'd love to bring Kenny Asher in. Kenny and I wrote You and Me Against the World together. So they would, seems like, you know, since he got me the job too, uh, this would be the, a good, his melodies are beautiful. So we wrote with One More Look at You, Woman on the Moon, Watch Close, all of Chris's songs. We wrote most of the songs, and then she played me this. You know, she was just learning to play guitar and she played me very, very almost shyly. Like she was almost embarrassed, like a little girl played da and sang da 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 dee da da. She said, oh, I want to show you something, see if, if there's anything you can do with this. And she goes, da 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 dee da da da. Looks for the chord. And I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> And she said, can you do anything with that? I want to, are you kidding? That's your love theme. It's just, it's stunning. You know? So it was the only, it was, we, we also wrote one other song that's actually on the new album, uh, the Barbara Streisand Evergreens. She re-recorded Evergreen, but she also put on, put a song I wrote with her and Kenny called Answer Me that I love, I love, and I love the way she sings it. Um, she was wonderfully generous to me, and I was a little snippy, a little bit of a smartass once in a while. And uh, I, I was, you know, I think I was working very hard to to, to remain unimpressed. Huh. And uh, but she and, came up with the original music for Evergreen, though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, you know, the, the that's a question I'm asked a lot, but I know I sure didn't write it. I know she played it for me and sang it gorgeously. I'd seen somewhere that the first two lines at, first, at some point were, were flip-flopped. It was I, uh, love stretches the morning air, love soft as an easy chair, and you're like, no, it sings right, better the other way. Right before she recorded it, I called her and I said, you know, I, the first two, I was getting ready to go on the road with Olivia Newton-John for like, I think we were out for like eight weeks. Of, you know, we're boarding the Starship, the 707, with the two bedrooms in it, and, and, and uh I jumped on a, on a phone at the at the little private airport, and I called her, and I said, you know, those first two lines, you know, love, so love it was because I wrote it originally, love fresh as the morning, and love soft as an easy chair. And I said, easy doesn't sing as well as morning does there. Think about it, love soft as an easy chair love fresh as the morning air it just sang better that way she said you're right click <laughs> hello well you thank you all righty uh, but yeah it's a, and it was you know I mean, we literally had like i think seven weeks to write that whole score but she mentions that in her book she mentions that uh that, that we, we flipped those lines and all 
Was it exciting to win the Oscar? Oh yeah, it was it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It's, I've been nominated six times, and the thing that you remember the most about it, but especially then, is you walk on that stage and you turn and face the audience, and there's Gregory Peck, there's Betty Davis, there's Kirk Douglas. <laughs> oh my God! And you know, so I'm you know I'm trailer trash from the Midwest, and and I've blossomed into this. I mean, I've stumbled into this um, amazing world that I you know that I'm that I'm now living in. And uh, I just, you know, one of the things, Mark, one of the things I think we have in common is that we don't have to give up our fan cards to do this work. So I remain an absolute fan of, you know, I mean, if the the example I always give is I've known Quincy Jones since I wrote the lyrics to Love Dance for him and George Benson. So we're talking about, you know, 50, 60 years, whatever, 50 years at least. But when Quincy Jones walks into Jones walks into the room, I go, "That's my God, Q. There's Quincy Jones. There's some little piece of me that that never I just never gave up that place where I can just fully emerge from a, just a cloud of pure admiration. I'll find a metaphor that works eventually. Give me a little time. Well, you didn't beca- you didn't become jaded, which is probably why you're still creative. I think so. And I think the other thing is is you know, I, I, I'm i 33 years sober. So when I was working on The Star is Born with Streisand, there was that, you know, because I'm, you know, was a, an, I am an alcoholic and a, and a recovering addict. And uh, it, in, it with, you know, the thing about, about alcohol and cocaine, alcohol and other drugs, but especially cocaine, cocaine gives you a, a, a certain amount of confidence and, and you know, become a, a level of self-assurance that very quickly in my case, I think, in a lot of people's cases, but especially in mine, I went from confidence to arrogance. And you know, there's a there's a, a document a documentary called Paul Lame's Still Alive. And if you watch it, there's a scene where I'm hosting the Murray Griffin show. And it's I am I'm sitting there watching myself and seeing what is this this little dead-eyed, arrogant I mean, just there's there's absolutely nothing to like in what I'm seeing, and I'm joking about about you know you know getting lucky on the road, and I'm going my kids, are, you know I had no children at that time, but but even even to have that in the documentary, you know, to look that bad and that rude and that cocky and just was, and the fact is that the the you know, it's a disease. You know, I mean, we're responsible for what we do under the influence of those things and all, and we clean that up. But recovery really just gave me a life that was free to wake up in the morning and not have the cravings. Yeah, it is just you know, and uh, to to walk into a room full of alcoholics and realize that you know that I found I found a place where where it's safe to tell the truth. You know, that's when and to 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 not have to not have to keep track of your lies is, is like a vacation. So 33 years, you know, I'm really active in recovery. That's, you know, we were talking earlier about, about why I do the comic cons and like that, because we're able to, you know, to support other organizations that, you know, that, that are, uh, that are 
nonprofit recovery organizations and, you know, like Rock for Recovery and the like, and just that, um, that are helping, you know, people find, you know, find their way out of that, that dark, dark life. And we get to keep the miracle by giving it away. In a lot of ways, you know, early on in this, this conversation, you brought up, you give a little love and it all comes back to you. I think that's my philosophy basically is that, you know, you give a little love and it all comes back to you. I couldn't, you know, there's, there's something about, about being, you know, of love and service that to me just feels almost selfish because there's such a reward in doing it. And then inevitably while I'm out there doing that, I'll find something that brings me back uh, another kind of reward about, you know, friendship or, or uh, job opportunities or, yeah, it's in line with what you're doing with your music. I mean, music is uplifting spirits and making, helping people deal with their issues and problems in life and how complicated it is. And, uh, yeah. you know, in a way, there's something consistent about sort of the life of, you know, being in recovery and sort of spreading the love in that way, too, I would think. And the best people that I worked with had that, that you know, the, uh, I've had this recurring, you know, you know chances to, to, to work with with the Henson family. And it began with Jim Henson and just what was just the, the elegance of kindness. It was like, it was like a model of, of, of somebody showing you when you work with Jim and, and the Muppet performers and Dave Goltz and Frank Oz and, and Jerry Nelson and all those guys. It was, it was amazing because what you were suddenly uh, exposed to was a kind of a, a kind of well, I, I I refer to the elegance of kindness, but also a way of working that is like, you know, that is not you claiming I'm doing this and you do that, and and I want respect for what I'm doing, but you know, it was it was a great play date. It was a great play date to walk onto a set with with Jim and those guys, and just and and he always respected the creative efforts of, of everybody that worked with him and he would listen to your ideas and if he turned if he said no which he did once to me you know with a song that that i thought was just in something kenny and asher and i wrote for the muppet movie that was not there was not a spot for in the movie and he just kind of went he did the the full tilt classic hmm, well uh, i don't know and then he came back a couple of days later and said, I found a way to make it work. The song is, is uh, I'm going to go back there someday, which Gonzo sings out in the desert when he's about, and about returning to the, you know, he's a landlocked bird. And Jim came back a couple of days later and he said, what if Gonzo at the earlier scene, the state fair buys a bunch of helium balloons for his girlfriend, Camilla, and they lift him into the air. And instead of being terrified, he feels like he's home at last. Nice. And you're, you're in town for um, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And that was a 1977 television special with Jim Henson and what you were still allowed to call Muppets back then. Um, and that's two years before the Muppet movie. So, is that is that the first time you worked with him and wrote for puppets? Yeah, yeah. I went over. I I went to. I did the Muppet Show in in England. Flew over to England, did the Muppet Show, and he handed me a script and he said, uh, "We're going to do this thing. It's a wonderful book by the Hoaglands called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas.'" 
It's a one-hour special for Canadian broadcasting and and, and uh, HBO. And uh, he asked me, and I think it was I think it was my audition for the Muppet movie. He had a great relationship with a great songwriter, Joe Raposa, uh, and I, I assumed that that would probably be the choice that he w- would make. But I think there was something about uh, our sense of humor that uh, that where we connected, as well as the sentimentality. But but so yeah, I did that. Did the 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 one hour special, wrote the songs, and re- you know, recorded them with my my band, and went in and produ- produced it with the. The, you know the Muppet performers, and it was just such a natural fit. It felt so good for both of us. And then he asked me to come and do the Muppet movie, and that's when I asked if I could. I just finished Stars Born with Kenny. I said, "Let me bring Kenny in. You'll get some gorgeous melodies." You know, so. Uh, but we did it at the at the Goodspeed Theater, and uh, in like 2009, we did it two Christmases in a row, and. Uh, Tim McDonald, of, uh, the, 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 the producer and co-writer of the book now, just basically, it, it kind of stayed in his heart as something he always wanted to do. And, and he always wanted to work with Chris Catelli. Chris Catelli came to meet with him and, and he said, is there anything you'd like to do that you haven't done? If you could do anything, what would it be? And Chris said, Emmett Otter's Jug Man Christmas. And the two of them went, hey. And uh, so we were off and running. We opened at the New View and in new york and and uh two like two years ago and uh, got the best reviews I've, I've ever gotten in my life god bless the new york times and then we were closed by COVID, as everybody else was it was a matter of, of a few few performances but we've opened here in the studebakers an amazing theater great company and uh the people have, uh, the critics have been nice and in, in absolutely the essence of of jim henson's heart and soul is is in that and i think the reason that it's that it's so popular is his is just his his spirit is right there and so many people in the, the years that have passed have made it a part of their christmas every year a song you wrote for that when the when the river meets the sea uh yeah when the river meets the sea um that was recorded by john denver and the muppets shortly afterwards and then it was played at his jim henson's funeral yeah so do you sort of never know what's going to like what's going to happen with these songs after you write them and certainly that's true of one particular song for the Muppet movie. Yeah, it's interesting and and it's the, the last thing we would ever have expected is for to lose Jim that that quickly but it, and he remains and his spirit remains and uh, it is Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and uh, when you walk in the theater you see a J and an H above the above the above the proscenium and it's uh as as it should be he just he had a spirit that was that was just remarkable he was he was again the elegance of kindness right and so rainbow connection you wrote this song for a green felt you know frog puppet um and it's like one of the lasting songs of our era basically i mean it's a fantastic song did you did you have the, t- the idea while you were writing Rainbow Connection that like oh this is like one of the really good ones? <laughs> you know what the the thing is we we talked about this you know this is the opening of the picture is it's actually a picture within a picture you see the the Muppets gather to watch this movie and the movie starts and and there's this long shot of coming in of uh, 
Kermit and Kermit. And the, the, the whole point of, of, of that first song is to, to, to expose us a little bit to the inner life of Kermit the Frog. Who is he? I think he's every frog. I, mean, I think he's probably, or could have been played by Jimmy Stewart in a, in a people version. Uh, but, but, you know what? He's he's in, in the middle of a swamp. What does he got? He has he has water. He has light. He has reflect reflected light. He has rainbows. And the song that we that we thought about is like, what's what's the where? How high are we going to raise the bar? What is it we're trying to do here? And we just both went to the exact same thing. Went in Pinocchio. Jiminy Cricket climbs up into the window under the skylight, takes his hat off, looks into the night sky, and sings, When you wish upon a star, makes no difference. It was just like, oh, my God. How do you, you know, how do you experience that and not feel your heart just open? And so that was the task we set ourselves. And then we, in the first two lines of the song, wrote ourselves into a horrible corner that turned out to be a gift. And what we wrote was, why, why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? <clears throat> rainbows are visions, but only illusions. Rainbows have nothing to hide. And we looked at each other and went, oh, God, oh, no. What did we just do? And what we did is we gave ourselves a great gift. Because when then when you go, so we've been told, when Kermit goes, so we've been told, and some choose to believe it, what happens is he steps away from the lectern He's no longer the professor preaching. He sits down in the audience with the audience metaphorically and says, so we've been told and some choose to believe it. I know the wrong way to see. Someday we'll find it. The rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers and me. It just it was a gift. And and again, I you know, I'm at a point in my life where when I look at something like that, I see a life lesson. And I see a, you know, a bumper sticker. To me, no is a gift. When I don't get something I want, when I get something I don't get something I really want or think that it's going to just be the exact right ingredient to my life, if I don't get it, there's a part of me that goes, what you got? What's coming up? What do I not know about that that would interfere with? And, uh, you know, that's it's it's just, you know, you I, I'm, I'm probably entering full tilt geezer of it here where you sit and you look at those moments and you go, you know what? It's again, it's it's another detour that takes you into the land of gratitude. Well, you know, that song, like Kermit in the movie, has legs. We've, we've had wonderful things happen with with Rainbow Connection. For one thing, it's, you know, it's, you know, has been. You know, it, it's it's culturally found its way into a, a bunch of different worlds, you know, including the, you know, the the inclusion now in, into the uh, the National Registry, you know, the Library of Congress and, and all. And there's a huge uh, uh, LGBTQ plus connection, which I think is wonderful. Uh, it's uh, I think that for for. Yeah, I love the I love the the additional verse at the end of the movie. Life at the end of the the Muppet movie. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. We've done just what we set out to do. Thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. So it's a uh, it's yeah, there, there's something in the song I think that that speaks to to. Uh, the possibilities of a life lived in, in love and service. And I think that, again, it's the spirit of Jim Hansen. Yeah. 
and the spirit of you, obviously. So <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, when I was talking about all those different, you know, touchstones at the beginning, I didn't mention Daft Punk, which is another one, because a lot of people have random access memories. And there you are, you know, showcased co-writing and singing a song on that. How did that collaboration happen? They love, again, Noah's a gift. Noah's a gift. Phantom of the Paradise was a, was a motion picture that I wrote the song for, and I, I played the, the, the villain in Swan. Directed and, by Brian De Palma, 1974. 1974, and in two cities it was a hit. In Winnipeg, God bless the Peggers, because they absolutely, they, there are so many people up there that loved it. And the rest of the world kind of just didn't pay any attention. And all these people that loved it have turned to other people and say, you've got to see this, you've got to see this. So it just it kept, it, you know, they 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 created a, a, a basically a cult following for the film. And the other city was Paris. And I got a, a, an email from a, a gentleman from Paris, or he and his partner, I was not aware of at the time had met at a screen at a theater where where Phantom of the Paradise was playing. They saw it 20 times together. Wow. They decided to start working together. They created Daft Punk. I love the fact they chose to be anonymous. It speaks so much to a healthy ego. They, you know, they want people to judge their work, not their lifestyle or who they are. Uh, and so, uh, the, we we met and and by the time I met them, I realized I remembered seeing them come out of the pyramid on one of the one of the uh, awards shows, and I thought, oh my God, those guys are fascinating. And they played me this beautiful melody, and and Toma uh, Toma and Gimen, and Toma handed me a book. The book was uh, a book about life, people that had passed and come back to life, and that, you know, and and what their experiences were. And I said, oh, my God, I read that book. I know that book. So we started writing, and, and they just gave me the melodies. I wrote lyrics to two of the songs. They asked me to sing one of them. I sang basically to a, just a simple track. They went back to, to Paris and put together random access memories. It came back and played it for me. Incidentally, it's the studio that I had been working in at A&M for years. A&M Records became Jim Henson's. And then and then the studios is where Daft Punk recorded and, and mixed. So all of a sudden, I'm back in the, the studio from like from 1967 to 1972. And my life had been a part of my life and then part of my life with Muppets, and now the third stage. I'm sitting there listening to this phenomenal album that would go on to win Grammy for Album of the Year. Uh, and I was at the time I was like 74. Most 74 year olds don't get approached to 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 do an album with Pharrell Williams, and I mean just the, the most amazing collection of of guest artists, and then the 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 talents of Daft Punk. It was, the, you know, it's funny that's. You ask about what it was like to win the Oscar. It was amazing to win the Oscar and to stand there next to, to, to Barbara. But there was something about that moment with, with the album of the year that was just, you know, just, I, I think that, that what awards mean to me uh, had, you know, had, 
become a healthier relationship than maybe it was because when when I won the Oscar, I mean, I was like the next day I was like, okay, now, now what? And I got a phone call from Circus of the Stars and they said, we're looking for some uh, a celebrity that skydives and we found your name on the PCA. Do you want to, would you have any interest in, in, in jumping with the Golden Knights? And I said, yes, and yes, yes. Uh, and because I felt like I, I, I'm, I, now, now what do I do? You know, uh, and I you know went on and made a hundred jumps, but I jumped with the Golden Knights and everything. And looking back on it, you go, wait a minute, what happened the day after? That happened the day after the Oscar. What if it had been the day before? Uh, but you know, I think my relationship with the awards is healthier these days. I'm grateful for both of them, but but I'm re- really grateful for the chance to work with the people I got to work with, the Jerry Goldsmiths. You know the the John Williams and and Roger and Kenny and and Brian De Palma and you know just I mean just an amazing collection of fabulous people. Did uh, did the Daft Punk song "Touch" sound like you expected it to sound when you finally heard it produced and everything? It was far beyond you know what I had. You know I I got to experience it as if I were not a part of it. I mean, it was because I heard it when I recorded it, it was just a basically piano, you know, a, a ba- just a basic track. But then this amazing cinematic uh, soundtrack. With Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, sort of what's next with that? And are you hoping that goes to Broadway then? Yeah, I think it's a matter, you know, it's, it's a matter of getting a theater at this point. I wait, you know, we're armed with, uh, with, I think a, a a wonderful response to the show, you know, and you know, and people are showing up to see it. We love that, and uh, it's just, you know, it has it has such history, and, and and it's an interesting combination of of well, there's a certain nostalgia about about the project itself, but it's also a chance for people to to peer into Jim Henson's world. To be and and you know to see the you know because it's a combination of of of, of live actors you know playing the the animals and then of course you know the 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 the, the Muppets as well or the, the the puppet work is just is stunning and and to see Ma Otter and and Emmett sliding on the ice as the little puppets and then see them as as the actors and uh, as you know as uh, as Ma said in an interview uh, Catherine said that that uh, you know that we're all critters up there there there's a, I referred to the 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 quartet the the jug band uh as the, the new critters on the block, they sound fantastic. They sound like a boy band. They're amazing, you know. But but there's something about stepping into that world and being and being able to see, you know. And 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 while you don't see the puppeteers during the the show, at the end they all come out and the and and the the ovation for their gifts is just is huge. It's just yeah, huge. it's amazing stuff. Yeah. And did you, when you worked on this originally in 1977, did you have any inclination? This is kind of one of those silly questions you ask in an interview, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have any inclination that 46 years later it would be being enjoyed by you know new generations of kids on a stage? No, I you know I I just uh, you know uh, it's funny my 
my outlook is is not so much back and forward as, as it is you know just really that you know there's a guy in recovery that talks about the now the importance of the now you know it's like there it is did you miss that were you here because this is where life is right here is it so i'm able to to enjoy what's going on right in front of me and 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 i and i'd love another 20 years i'm 83 and i just you know i feel like a tired 34 you know and uh uh i love the, the work that i do you know I, i've been working for ascap for the last so i've been on the board since 2001 i've been president since 2009 and it's one of the greatest opportunities i've ever had to really put something back to to the young musician or the some young songwriter and composer that's coming up and all so I, i'm I'm excited about the work that's going on right now. I mean, looking at, at artificial intelligence and how that's going to yeah. fit into our lives and how we can do that in a way that, that doesn't destroy culture, but you know, but honors the 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 creativity that is used to train the computers and make sure that that uh, that that we continue to be respected and the copyright is respected. I love doing this work, you know, Mark. I I love than the fact that ASCAP is as a not-for-profit that uh that we are strong advocates for you know it's we're a democracy what a unique idea that is we're of by and for the the, the membership we you know we're the the board is 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 all members of of the organization that uh that are looking out to make sure that, that you can continue to make a living with your music. I I have been feeding my kids and putting gas in the car, you know, with with the royalties from ASCAP, you know, uh, for since 1972. So I know how important what ASCAP is to you know to to making a livable income for a songwriter. And uh, one of the greatest honors I've ever had in my life is being able to do this work. Yeah, especially now, it's just so tricky for people to make money off of their creative work and their yeah, music. Yeah. So, so having someone in their corner is real important. Got to um, do it. Got to do it. What's the What's the most recent song you wrote? By the way, the most recent song I wrote is. Um, well, I auction off writing songs for. Uh, it's funny you should ask because right now there is a, a song on Desmond Child and I are auctioning off writing a song to anything anybody wants us to write about. The last one that I wrote was for Vin Scully's daughter, Erin. Wow. She made a, a beautiful donation to the UCLA organ pro, uh, donor program. And I auctioned off two songs. One was to, to Aaron Bott and was very generous of her. All that money goes to, to the donor program. Uh, so I wrote a song about, uh, about her dad and her mom and, and their love affair and a song called life, like a love song, you know, and I, uh, and i the last, the last, the last song for, for is, well, i I'm working on on Pan's Labyrinth, so it'd be the songs for. for oh right, yeah. So, so yeah, that'll be amazing on the stage because it's such an imaginative oh, film. I mean, music is Gustavo Santaolalla, who is brilliant. He won the Oscar two years in a row. He won the, won the first time for Brokeback Mountain. Uh, he's an Argentinian, brilliant composer, and. Uh, we wrote this song for the Book of Life together. Thank you so much. This is really an honor. Thank you so much. You got it. Bye-bye. 
That's it for episode 113 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Paul Williams for revisiting his sprawling, amazing career with such good humor and keen recollections. Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which deserves its rave reviews for its puppetry and everything else, is playing the Chicago Studebaker Theater through December 31st. Go to EmmettOtterLive.com for more information and keep a lookout for the show, maybe heading to Broadway or elsewhere in the future. I encourage you to work your way through Paul Williams' other projects as well. There's so many great songs coming from such a wonderful place. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake. Sometimes, Chris, it's just you and me against the world. And yes, Paul Williams wrote that one, too. Thanks to our official Carol Pop friends who have paid $60, that's $5 a month for a year, to support this podcast. You can do the same on the episode link or by going to carolpop.com. We need support to keep Carol Pop free and sustainable, and we appreciate you. I'm Mark Carroll. Please follow Carol Pop on Twitter and Instagram at Carol Popcast. You can follow me as well at Mark Caro at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O. Please share this episode, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. Happy holidays and thanks.